0: This year's donations might go to
1: say the geology department oh dear not the dirt people
2: geology is the study of pressure and huh? time that's all it takes really
1: what kind of activity has turned the massive
0: look i'm just a geologist i like rocks i love
1: rocks
2: hello everyone welcome to the geology flannel cast my name is steve
1: hey everybody this is chris uh, Ahoy, hoy! This is Jesse. Huh?
2: I like the ahoy, hoy. Yeah, yeah. Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah. Oh,
1: I was—I went right to Mister Burns from The Simpsons.
0: Well, it's because Mister Burns was alive when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A- A- uh... Alexander Graham Bell uh, wanted everyone to answer the phone. Ahoy, hoy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So what's the what's the story behind that? Why did he? Issues. I don't know. Oh, wait, wait, is that did people say that back in the day, or what's the did he make that up to be Because like, he said he thought hello was like boring, right? Yeah. Like ships? I
0: don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah. I don't know. But I just thought it was interesting that Mr. Burns said it because that's what <laughs> Alexander Graham Bell said. So yeah. Salutations. How's that? Salutations every Everybody, thank you for listening to the Geology Flannelcast, the premier geology podcast. Um, yeah,
1: thanks for thanks for tuning according in and to
2: JD Powers and Associates. That's a lie. I made that up. Please um, don't. By the please way, don't uh, tell uh, on ho- us.
1: <laughs> the ahoy hoy" thing is derived from a nautical term "ahoy," so yeah, that's what oh, Jesse
2: it, said. It, the ships. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, it's pretty funny, and Wikipedia it says term has resulted from uh mentioned actually specifically mentions mr burns and the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> nice That's way awesome. to go simpsons
2: writers yeah Pull, pulling that out of there took us so
1: yeah well speaking of not well we could uh how can i no i do a segue here to the topic of, oh, of boy. the day and Oh, I'm really stretched it with the, well, it. what could be low lying areas that are filled with water. Oceans. Yeah, low lying areas. Uh, the theme of today's podcast is uh, we're going to be talking about uh, sediment accommodation space or uh, there's there's actually uh, I've, I've been told you can't say accommodation space. It's just supposed to be accommodation, but uh, we'll go back and forth with that. It all means the same thing. Um but uh so we're going to be when I, when, to... I,
2: when I hear the word accommodation I think my hotel room. When I think of great accommodations, area for sediment to be deposited, I think of the accommodation space. And I understand it's it is
1: kind of redundant.
2: But Yeah, that's that that's just me and my, you
1: know, because you could say accommodation if you're accommodating something, it's space is already there. Yes. Yeah. Um but this is a classic, classic term in uh, in sedimentology. We're going to go back to our roots here because um, we have three sedimentologists kind of just hanging around, sipping beer together. So why not? Um, but uh, yeah, so accommodation space to start off. Maybe you're listening. You're like, what the heck does this mean? What is this podcast going to be about? Uh, it's a super, super important uh, term and... Uh, Uh, Yeah, just it's very important uh, in terms of how sediment gets deposited. So basically, what you can think of is uh, this: it's an area that can accept sediment, right? So you have in your in your deposition, your depositional environments are going to be low lying areas, as as Steve said uh, earlier. You're not going. So the I guess you could say like the opposite of accommodation. uh, You know. Areas that have a large amount of accommodation, the opposite of that would be like the mountains, right? The mountains yeah. don't yeah, it's like, so you're looking for low lying land, that's where all the sediments gonna collect. The mountains are tend to be the source of the sediment, right? That's kind of the, the start of of the whole you know sedimentary cycle, I guess you could say. So but before we even get into this, what what
2: would you consider neutral? Neutral?
1: Yeah. Like, uh, like, oh, oh. go go a little more in depth. What do you mean? Expand a so bit. So, what what would be, what would be the
2: ideal spherical Earth? No highlands, no lowlands. Ooh. Everything is flat.
1: Everything's flat.
2: Or you know, it's a perfect yeah. sphere.
1: Okay. Obviously, not flat. Like I don't okay. think there's flat like Earth, this. but yeah, Earth is flat. Continue right. Um. <laughs> so. Nothing would it, happen. It, but nothing would happen. But just as
2: a little thought experiment, is it even physically possible
1: to have a perfectly spherical Earth?
2: Just, a, just a like,
1: no, because of tectonics.
2: No, well, <laughs> let's say tectonics is done. Say, so, so
1: you have. Uh, In that case, the moon still has no. You can't have be perfectly flat because look at the moon. The moon has no more, no more tectonics, and what makes the topography on the moon. You know, as of right now, it's still the topography is still being created by impact craters.
2: So the moon has accommodation. Yes.
0: Yeah. And the craters.
2: Okay. The craters. Yeah. No, all right. I'm just throwing this out there. Like the I, I was just trying to get people in the mindset of like you have highlands and you have depositional basins. And then there's the space in between. And at some point. There is an equilibrium.
1: The space in between off the top of my head, I'm thinking, because when you said that, the first thing I thought of is that's where the transportation is occurring. Right. So, like, maybe a river?
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, you, you you got the the too much of to the not enough of, and you got to transport it between the two. I have too much sticking up. I have not a mut- not enough sticking up. And then we're gonna get to the middle.
1: Man, so, I should mother- be a physics professor. Yeah. <laughs> this be- I I will uh, it's pretty good. I'll let Neil deGrasse Tyson know immediately
2: <laughs> <on the podcast. laughs> Seriously. I'm eloquent and just a way with words descriptive. Too much of and not enough of. <laughs> there you go. Done.
1: So what uh, what happens is every se- every uh, sedimentary basin is uh, is, go- is well it's going to collect sediment by definition right And so your classic sedimentary basins are gonna be low-lying areas. So what's the most low-lying area on earth? It's the ocean, right? So the ocean mm-hmm. is like the ultimate source or the I, <laughs> let me rephrase oh, that let me re- hang on hang
2: myself. on yeah let, let me put it in south philly terms uh, the gazinda
1: yeah. <laughs> yes yeah. that's very good yeah ultimately the ocean is going to be like the biggest the biggest basin on earth like everything once it's going to ultimately go in there it's low lying and once sediment goes in there it just kind of gets stuck and yep. that's it but the we gezinda. have other, it's all the yeah <laughs> The Gozinda, the goes Gozinda, kind of makes me think of like the actual sediment going into the basin.
2: Yeah, yeah. the The mountains are the Gozada, and the basins are the Gozinda.
1: Oh, I see what you are saying. Oh, okay, <laughs> I very good. Um, okay. So that's just one, but you know, this this you know, so we could you know, it's. When you look at it in at one perspective, it could be a very simple, like okay, it's just you know it's just a space that sediments is getting dumped into, all right. But there's you know you like okay, it ultimately goes onto the ocean. But there's other just it's not that simple though. Just like geology, nothing is like super simple in, in geology. When you when you really start to dive into it, it can it can start to it can start to get complicated pretty fast. Let's look at a river delta, all right. River delta is a great um, a great environment where we have to deal with sediment accommodation all the time. It's a very important aspect of, of river deltas, right? So um, it's actually the, the the first topic I thought I was, when I was thinking about what to talk about today, I was thinking, oh, we should just talk about the the Mississippi River Delta, all right? Because it's a, that is a great example to talk about this topic with. So what starts happening is, the mississippi river is has a ton of sediment by the way you guys see the the pictures of the mississippi river drying up yeah it's crazy yeah
2: it's nuts
1: yeah yeah uh i heard the uh oh i i i had uh, someone was just telling me that now because it's so dry salt water is intruding up about 40 miles up the mississippi river now wow yeah it's really encroaching pretty far up there um, anyway. That seems
0: bad. That seems like it's bad. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, so, we, we actually get a little salt water here in Philly. Um, at yeah, the very, very bottom of the Delaware River. But
0: I mean, that's yeah, that's just tidal. That's just the way it goes. Yeah. L- literally goes in and goes out. Uh, yeah. The Mississippi thing,
1: that's because it's a La Nina year.
0: Oh, yeah. Because it dries it out. Yeah. So the yeah. La Nina is. You get heating in the in the Pacific there instead of and it's no no sorry cooling yeah. right cooling yeah. excessive cooling which makes the air dry yeah yeah Anyways, El Nino is it it's warming that's
1: when it gets really warm yeah
0: yeah and it makes it wet
1: is there any yeah. reason I know we're getting really off topic but just a question that I had that just kind of popped up there. Why do why is it called La Nina and El Nino? Like the boy uh, and the, the girl. It, I think it had to do with fishing. I yeah, could be wrong, but El,
2: I I, I so, thought it had to do with fishing.
0: El Nino comes first from um El Nino was was first and it, it comes from um the boy or like the Christ child, because I think it happens around
2: Christmas, yeah, I think so too, but,
0: yeah, it's and, warmest, it's warmest around Christmas. So it, it originally was uh El Nino de Navidad, oh. by the Peruvian
1: fishermen,
2: yeah, because so. it's off the coast of South America. And I, I yeah. yeah, I thought it had to do with fishing, yeah, so fishermen, yeah. cool, yeah.
1: and then just La Nina, they just that's just the opposite, I guess that's where yeah. that came from,
2: the Antichrist, I guess. I don't.
1: Sorry. <laughs> it's an antichrist year right now
2: <laughs> no I'm, I'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding sorry
0: Ooh, we're gonna get letters
2: yep people are gonna mail us stuff go
1: so back to the mississippi river
0: <laughs>
1: how dare you so, bad mouth uh, the mississippi or, so no. you got mississippi's having has a, a lot of sediment coming down the river right and so ultimately it's going to flow into the Gulf of Mexico. And when this thing flows into the Gulf of Mexico, then you know, all of the sediment gets dumped off. And that creates the Mississippi River Delta. So you might think like, okay, well, the 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 Delta, the the, the Mississippi River is flowing into the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico is like super deep and super big. Like it's it's never going to fill that whole, that whole basin up. And you're right, the Mississippi River is not going to fill up. The entire basin, known as the Gulf of Mexico, but what ends up happening is, on a more local scale, where the actual delta is, it kind of starts to get clogged up itself. So what happens is, over time, yeah, it's kind of like the the river will kind of start to clog itself up and and almost like I don't want to say choke itself out, but it just uh, when 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 too much sediment gets dumped what happens is the water can't flow efficiently out and uh and all the sediments dumped there and it's actually fill it, it's it's kind of just i guess the best way to you know i don't want to repeat myself but it just kind of gets clogged up right and you have like a localized clog what happens is you run out of space to store that sediment so and i'm not to personify the mississippi river uh but I'm going to personify the Mississippi River. It you can think of it as getting choked out. It needs to dump that sediment. Everything's the the flow is getting inefficient, and what will happen is a process called avulsion. And avulsion is when a river just kind of jumps ship. It it it, uh, it 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 shifts its its position, and it'll find a new. A new area to uh, to dump off the sediment at, so it's kind of like, all right, cool. I fill it in that space. All you know, I fill in this one space. There's nothing else. I, it's I, it, it can't accept any more sediment. It cannot accommodate any more sediment, and the river will actually find a new spot through the process of avulsion. And because what ends up happening is when you fill up that space with the sediment, now it's not that low lying area. Right. Yeah,
2: you you water. get like this like sheet flow across the land, you know. It fills up that channel, and then you just get like this wide fan of water going out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Until it can, until it organizes itself into a new channel.
2: Right. Some some little weak spot in in that place ends up cutting down a little tiny bit, and then the water's like jackpot. Now, I, it doesn't
0: sometimes it creates its own accommodation right because you build up enough sediment and it pushes down on the earth it creates subsidence you could
1: and is the rate of it getting choked out greater than it's sinking there's there's several factors at play for sure you know i i'm kind of i was just kind of going over the uh sorry did uh, i jump ahead my bad no no we can talk about that um No, you need to
2: stick to our perfectly formatted outline is what you need to do. Uh,
1: The problem. Yeah. That's that's where the dilemma.
2: So we'd like to thank uh, the Formatting Formula for being our sponsor this evening. Uh, It it is the the evening as we're recording it. I don't know when you're listening to this. Hopefully it's in the morning. You know, you start every day with a geology podcast. (laughs) But uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Formatting Formula. Uh, www.formattingformula.com or YouTube forward slash C forward slash formatting formula for all of your word document formatting needs. So, thank you, formatting formula.
1: Yeah, thank you. Now we got all the formatting over. Uh, let's talk about how the uh, the river reformats itself. <laughs>
2: nice, smooth, yeah, smooth, just like it was in our outline. <laughs>
1: smooth as silk so the river's got all the sediment and it's you know it's thinking i need to dump this sediment there's no more space i've used up all the space that can accommodate the sediment what am i going to do you get this process of avulsion and the river will it's it fascinates me still to this day i've been studying this stuff for ah a long time (laughs) and the water water's going to Always, Water always flows downhill, and it's going to find – as soon as the, the accommodations gets used up, you, it's not going downhill anymore, right? You can kind of think of it very, very generally speaking. It's going to find a, a better area to, to dump off that sediment, and that's what we see happening along the, uh, the Louisiana coast. There's multiple uh, uh, former delta sites all along the Louisiana coast um what is it uh i off the top of my head there's uh, there's like six or eight or something i i don't know the exact number um i don't yeah. uh, i used to know it but i know what is it's it? something like something like that and on average it's, it's about every 2000 years or so the the mississippi river evolves. it jumps ship and and, and creates a, a new delta it's either 1000 yeah. or 2000 off the top of my head i'm it's trying good. to think i think it's 2000 Lo- uh, it's lobe switching yeah, yeah, and anyways, that so the whole southern half of the state of Louisiana is all just uh, it's it's a mishmash of these river deltas that have all kind of uh, um, kind of coalesced and overlapped each other. So the um, um, the 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 river is always going to find the the low lying area. And it's like I said, it's just it's still to this day. It amazes me how Mother Nature can can do that. You know, I guess it's just physics really. Ultimately, it's just trying to water is lazy. Water is inherently lazy. It just wants to go downhill. It's not going to go uphill. It's just it's going to go downhill. And it wants to get to the ocean as fast as possible and as efficiently as possible.
2: But the beginning of your statement was it's never going to fill in the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico is huge. However, if all of a sudden everything stayed static, I I think it would eventually fill in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, however, things aren't staying static.
1: Okay, okay.
2: You're you're constantly having plate tectonics.
1: Yes, that's what we get. Yeah,
2: readjusting things. You know, if if all of a sudden plate tectonics stopped, we we might fill in the Gulf of Mexico because we're we're know. having. I mean-
1: what you would have to do if you wanted to fill in the Gulf of Mexico, you'd have to erode down the Rockies and the rest of the Appalachians. Yeah, can that fit? I don't know. I mean, we see where the Appalachians went—the whole coastal plain of the uh, of the you know of the Atlantic, the Atlantic coastal plain—that was the Appalachians. You know, Appalachians yeah. were somewhere, you know, well, uh, estimated area, but somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand feet tall. It, you know, it, it is
2: a good point. With 20, but, but without plate tectonics, where would the water go?
1: so
0: part
2: i I don't have an answer for that,
0: <laughs> but it it gets back to oh, uh, I guess you're saying if you hold everything constant, part of the reason, like a lot of the sediment you have along the Atlantic coastal plain, like in some places it's it's twelve kilometers thick,
2: yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> and, crap crap ton to put it in scientific terms and,
0: yeah. yeah, you have. <laughs> you have flexural subsidence there so it you know the the crusts gives way and so you're never truly filling into the basin right because it's as you pile it up the ground is sinking which allows more to be piled up right there and the ground sinks and it piles up
2: so it's a only- never ending process
0: yeah and and you only if you want it to go further into the basin well, then you just got to drop sea level and move that accommodation space further into the basin.
1: Right. Well, that's, that's a very good point, Jesse. Sea level also comes to play. Thank so, you. All this stuff. You got tectonics coming into play. Like for a very, very long term. I guess we're even talking like Wilson cycles. If you want to start talking about tectonics coming into play. Wilson. J. There you go. Wilson. Our, favorite our favorite Canadian. Canadians here at the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah. August. laughs> Um, but sea level too. So sea level starts mucking around with this at a, at a much, uh, so the, 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 the largest time interval or the largest, uh, uh, yeah, we could say the largest time interval that you want to look at this is ultimately on the Wilson cycles of like 200 million year cycles, but then sea levels bopping around inside those larger 200 million year Wilson cycles. Sea level goes up and the sea level goes down. You yeah, know, and even at the, the the
2: largest Milankovitch cycles is what four hundred thousand years. So you're talking five large scale Milankovitch cycles on one Wilson cycle.
1: There's there's a lot going on. Yeah, you know? and, uh, there is a lot going on. There is it's, uh, very fractal, very fractal. You could say. Ah, uh, that's a good. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah so it's it's not just a uh, it's it's not just river uh river uh environments or deltas that we we see having this happen um i see a lot with, uh, with a lot of the the coastal work that i do in terms of uh you can look at tidal inlets busting through barrier islands so you know, you a, know a thing or two about that I, I i i've been known to dabble in this uh <laughs> in this field So what'll, what'll happen is you have a storm come through the, um, come along the coast and if it's, if it's strong enough and the conditions are just right, uh, you can have a tidal inlet form and basically cut through that barrier Island. Tidal inlet is a channel that connects the bay to the ocean. And the only thing that keeps this thing open is the tides, right? So you have longshore sediment transport is moving sediment down the coast and that's always trying to fill in your tidal inlet, fill in that that main channel. But the uh,
2: just real quick, can you explain? Because uh, I, when I learned this, I found it super fascinating. How does the tidal inlet form from the ocean to the bay, or from the bay to the ocean?
1: Well, it, it can go. It can go either way. But can- how does it
2: usually form?
1: Well, once again, it can it, it can actually go either way. But a lot of people don't realize. Well, you, I know what you're getting at.
2: Here. Yeah, sorry.
1: What can happen is it can encroach from the bay side and spill over the the barrier island and and then eventually go lead into the ocean. A lot of people just think because of, of wave energy, uh, it'll just come from the ocean side and bust through the barrier island and go into the bay. But what can actually happen during during intense storms is there's usually um, on on the uh, well, the the bay will fill in with water and you'll get a dome of water on the bay and it wants to, it'll spill back over the barrier island and lead to the ocean, and that's that's what Steve's getting at is is you can actually get some of these inlets piercing through the the barrier island coming from the bayside and and a lot of people. lot of people don't realize that
2: yeah it just blew my mind I was like you just always assume with the waves and storms and every everything's coming from you know the ocean side in but actually if you have a lot of water on the land side it can overwhelm the bay and then push out into the ocean and it just was like oh my god yeah that makes sense but I never thought of it that way
1: so the one thing is you gotta uh, actually coming from the back side of the barrier island you're not dealing with like the the dunes like the the four dune for example that's like the the first line of defense um with when the storm surge does start to come up the four dune that's that's that first dune there um that'll that's your barrier that's your natural barrier that's why like um and you want to have those dunes uh to protect like the houses and whatever yeah. infrastructure. <laughs> that,
2: that's why you don't put out that, that dune grass. Yeah,
1: yeah. Do not pull that's the, the the worst thing you pop. Don't play on the dunes. Just leave it alone. It's <laughs> don't touch it. Say them. that. I say that every day
2: to people I meet on the street. Yeah, my my, my wife. My wife's family had at a beach house on the beach, and my wife's grandmother used to say all like when they planted all the dune grass it ruined her view. And so she would send all the grandkids out there to pull out all that dune grass.
1: Oh, <laughs> like, that please, is please don't not a good long-term investment. Uh, the insurance companies <laughs> would, not, <laughs> would yeah. not like that. Anyway. So, but if the water is coming in from the bayside, like I said, the storm surge is, is pushing water into the bay and you actually start, the water starts to dome up a bit in the bay and it's going to, it's going to start to spill over. It doesn't, it can go. It can cut further in and along the barrier island because you don't have all those well built up dunes that you do. Like, like uh, it's it's easier for it to come in from the backside, basically. And that's uh, that's. But you can also get it cutting through from the ocean side too. It can go either way. Right. It can go either way.
2: But it just blew my mind that that a lot. You know, it can come from the other way, and it basically, like we were just saying with the deltas, creates its own accommodation space. Right, yeah, so that it creates yeah. its own accommodation. Sorry,
1: it keeps yeah. saying accommodation space. I say it too, it's, <laughs> it, it's all the, yeah. who cares? It's all the same thing, you know. Like it's, but so anyway, so you get these tidal inlets now. So now basically you have this this channel that pierces through the barrier island, and what's what's keeping this open is something called tidal prism. And so the tidal prism is the amount is the volume of water. Moving I had prism
2: when I was a little kid growing up. That nobody oh, understands yeah. what you're talking about. We know what you're that's talking a, that's
0: about. That's a very localized else. joke. A <laughs> very, very
1: old right, local joke. We'll just, ladies and gentlemen, don't even worry. Hey, about if
2: it. anyone lived in the Philadelphia area in the 80s or 90s, you know what I'm talking about. Prism was like a HBO of Philly. It was awesome. <laughs> Carry on.
1: Okay. Uh, let's just pretend <laughs> it didn't happen. Just, ladies and gentlemen, just erase the last 10 seconds out of your next- <laughs> Well, go ahead and google prism nobody knows what you're tra-
2: <laughs> telling you it was it was an awesome pay cable channel Prism. i remember they used to have the phillies games on there. yeah I mean, and the flyers games yeah, yeah sixers yeah. yeah it was awesome
1: anyways um no one was a
2: precursor to comcast thank you yes. very much that now owns nbc so there you go
1: can i get back to the topic <laughs> <laughs> yes
2: title prism carry
1: on where was I so just talking about tidal prism and the, the the definition of this of tidal prism is it's the volume of water that th- flows through a tidal inlet in one half tidal cycle all right basically six hours and change that's the easiest way to remember it all right? so that's the only thing that keeps a tidal inlet open otherwise the sand coming down from the longshore sediment transport wants to fill up that that tidal inlet. And if you if the sand you get too much, you don't have enough prism jetting out the sand, your inlet closes and that's it. And then it's done. But uh, if it's if there's plenty of tidal prism in there, it'll it'll continue to flush out that sand and, and and you'll you'll retain an active tidal inlet. So one of the you can get you can get sedimentary deposits associated with tidal inlets, depending on the conditions that you're in. Um you can either have a, a wave dominated tidal inlet or a tide dominated tidal inlet, but I'm going to talk about wave dominated tidal inlets for a little bit because that's that, that's a little little simpler to talk about in terms of of this this topic here. So what ends up happening is you start getting all of this all of this sediment being deposited on the base side of the of the tidal inlet there, and um, that makes up a, a feature known as a flood tidal delta. Now. What can start to happen is, over time, as you get more and more of the sand being deposited, it will start to choke out your tidal inlet. And then, the the from all of the research I've ever done on this stuff, the tidal inlet can start to get a little squirrely. It can become unstable. Oh, instead of saying squirrely, I, know, I try to sound smart. I'll say it becomes unstable. How about that? All right. Ooh, I kind of like squirrely, though. Squirrelly is pretty good. I should start publishing the word squirrelly more often. <laughs> right? Squirrelly. Squirrely. But what happens is, and, and just, it's amazing. Like I said, just, it's almost like you can, and I've gotten in trouble. I've had reviewers say, stop personifying these things, right? And like, yes, I understand. It's not a living, it's not a living being, but damn, it just acts like one. It really, it really, really does. It's the best way for me to describe this thing. So you get this the the water wants to flow in and out but it's being blocked by sand in the bay in this in this flood tidal delta. So what it'll start to do is it can become it can start to rotate and it'll want to and and if it's going to want to become hydraulically efficient the sand is blocking the water and it's not, and and if the water is not hydraulically efficient, it's not going to have a high enough velocity. It's not going to be able to to be, uh, get all this sand out of the of the main of the main uh, we call it the inlet throat of the channel. It'll start to rotate, and sometimes by it rotating, it can actually find an area where sand hasn't been deposited, some new accommodation space or a new area to accommodate sediment, and. So I guess the whole the whole point of what I'm going off with this is that uh accommodation sediment accommodation can control um uh, dynamics of these these uh these depositional environments right so we look so we took, gave I gave we gave two examples we gave rivers and and tidal inlets right and if you don't have enough space they're going to try to it's going to If you don't give it enough space to to deposit its sediment, it's gonna go out of equilibrium, all right? And it's gonna want to make a change. And and it can affect it, can actually have a pretty drastic effect. There's you know, and the more you study this stuff, the more you realize it's it can to an extent become like a domino effect, especially when you're dealing with coastal environments, they're so such delicate environments, and and it, you can really have this like cascading domino effect uh, that ultimately, you know, I don't think we have enough time to talk about in this episode, but can start affecting you know portions down of the Barrier Island, you know, tens of kilometers away. It can really, it's just amazing how how you know everything is really kind of linked, all because of accommodation, all because of it. these systems are just looking for for these locations to to dump sediment to, to, and if you can't do that, then the whole thing goes out of whack. So there's two, we got rivers and we have coastal environments, but, um, geez, there's so many, there's so many other environments that, that, um, you know, you can talk about this, this sediment accommodation, but I guess ultimately the main thing is that
2: Eolian, uh, Lucostrian, um, those are the only two that come to mind, but yeah
1: yeah um even like alluvial fans and and, and, and things like that it, you know it's, it's a smaller scale but uh it's just you're having the sediment coming down the line and the system needs to dump off this sediment and you can't dump off the sediment once it starts building up in the and and you start to lose you start to lose that 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 Basin effect and Mother Nature will find a way to to find that that low-lying that low-lying terrain. Eventually it's it's gonna find a way. So um, what
2: life uh,
1: it always finds a way. (laughs) So there's a lot of other there's other variables at play too. What you have to look at in your in your sedimentary system is how about how much sediment's coming down, right? And you know, we so often we think of the amount of sediment that's being transported as, and this is just in terms of, this is what geologists tend to do. What's the volume of sediment that goes through this system per year, right? We talk about this all the time. Like it's a, uh, you know, especially when you're trying to recreate or um, reconstruct ancient depositional systems, how much sediment was, was coming through there a year. We're assuming that it's a linear rate or, uh, I mean, not a linear rate, uh, like a linear, like static rate. There's always, you know, it's just an average. Yeah. Nothing nature doesn't work in straight lines. And most of the times what you see is these these fluxes of sediment coming down. Right? You can get like a, like a like these like like a pulse of sediment coming down. It's not going to be just perfectly like every year we get like this exact amount of deposition occurring. No that's that's not how it works there's, there's right. fluctuations in in weather on a longer term, you know longer Cycles there's fluctuations in climate there's all all of this stuff there's um that's going to control the amount of sediment in your system so that that in and of itself is one of the most important parts when you're talking about like filling we were, up we using, we're just talking exhausting about the, your combination
2: the Mississippi River and how it's drying up mm-hmm. and salt water is intruding so much but it was just a few years ago where we had record high floods in the Mississippi yeah. River. So,
1: so like right now, if uh, if the discharge of the Mississippi River is decreasing, you think it's gonna, you think its capacity for sediment is going to be the same? No, there's not enough water to to move the sediment down like it, like it used to. So, and that's a, and this is just a, a normal, you know, a, a normal cycle that happens. Um, you know, you said it's it's a La Niña year. It's just a normal thing that happens. And uh, you know, and then other years, if it's an El Nino year, you get tend to get more rain with that, and more rain means more floods, and more floods means more discharge and more capacity for sediment. You can pff, dump, you know, get more sediment being pushed down. So it's not linear. So much of so much of sedimentary geology is, is punctuated. Um you very rarely get these, these systems where it's like Um, you know, you get these nice, you know, every, it's, it's very easy to calculate every every year has like X amount of, of sediment, you know, X amount of volume of sediment being deposited, maybe like glacial, like varv environments, glacial lakes, you know, but even that I I would assume, you know, everything's going to, everything's going to fluctuate. You're not going to, you're not going to get the the same thing year after year in any geological environment.
0: No, no. I mean, yeah, just I mean, you can think about it like think about it every day. It doesn't rain on the same day of every year. And so you have this variability of when it when it rains, that's when sediment's going to get pushed into a, a river
1: yeah. versus when it's sunny or when it's, you know, cold. Nothing winter. happens and, and usually nothing nothing really happens. during fair weather conditions.
0: Yeah, it's uh, uh,
1: yeah.
2: Terms- uh, it, it it does, but on a geologic scale, it's very insignificant. Yeah, like I if mean- I have a rainstorm tomorrow, sediment is going to leave my property. Sediment is going to go into the local basin. Sediment is going to be deposited, but it's on a super small scale.
1: But if it's just like a like a normal like trickle of a rainstorm, maybe it can only move some silt around. Right? No,
2: so- no, I understand, but still, that silt is going to build up eventually. You're right.
1: And this, yeah, yeah, I, I'm not saying yeah. it's this, nothing.
0: This is sort of a. I feel like this is a little bit of a contentious issue, but we'll touch the topics that others won't. We we will. Uh, we do consistently. Yes. So it's the idea that oftentimes you'll hear people talk about sedimentation rate.
1: Yeah, that's what, a, what I guess that's what I was getting at, and I just didn't say the magic word sedimentation rate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's
0: so sometimes they'll they'll drop. People will drop rates like three mm-hmm. three millimeters a year, thirty centimeters yeah. every hundred years, or whatever. And I don't know. Uh, on some on some level, it helps us, you know, think about how much sediment flux there is in the system. Now, on the other hand, is that really meaningful? Right, because you know it it,
1: it isn't. It makes it seem like it's constant. Well, so to piggyback off your point, Jesse, I think it looked, it depends on your time window, right? Yeah. So like, so we know that in reality, the sediment being deposited is going to be punctuated. Okay. But if you're looking at, so maybe I'm just going to throw some numbers out. Just, I'm going to make up some numbers. Let's just say you get a big ass flood every, uh, Every five years, I'm just going to make something up, right? So every five years, is, pff, this pulse of sediment comes down, right? So if you're looking at it at a time window of, you know, maybe uh, less than five years, five years is too short. Let's make that a hundred years. You get like a hundred year flood. There we go. That's a better number, right? <laughs> so if you're looking at a time frame of like seventy five years, maybe statistically you don't get that one hundred year flood within that that time period. And that sedimentation rate is going to be, you know, bananas. It's going to be like where, where's all the sediment? That John
2: Denver's full of shit, man.
1: Yeah, (laughs) exactly, exactly. (laughs) Great, uh, that's Dumb and Dumber, right? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Greatest movies of all time. (laughs) But if uh, you know, but if you're looking at a a, you know a much larger timescale of you know thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years then who you know then it's you you can start to get a feel for that that um, that sedimentation rate average, but just knowing that in reality it's just probably going to be punctuated.
0: Yeah, and that, well that, that assumes that over that longer time scale, that 100 year average holds. Yes. you could you could have and we're we're sort of seeing this now as our climate changes, right? Where you can have you know five thousand years of of you know average c- conditions you know certain conditions you know wet season dry season or whatever, and then it can shift and become really dry for the next five thousand years mm-hmm. and so on and mm-hmm. so it's you know yeah, it depends on there is a, a a scale here or a window sort of factor about how you look at it mm-hmm. And, you know it's so it
1: is it's very interesting yeah and i think you know it's time window and also what do you what are you looking for you know like what is what is that's gonna that's gonna have a say as well so if it um you know but generally speaking geologists are going to continue to use sedimentation rates but we all kind of know that there's some give and take with these things is you know take take a sedimentation rate with a grain of salt with uh, sedimentation that's occurring as uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that but the dorkiest joke I said all week. Yeah, <laughs>
2: but the sedimentation rate uh is um you you do you you have to just like everything in, in data in science you have to average it over a certain time period. Yeah, you, you know you have to normalize the data. So. Mm-hmm. You have to take those averages, so uh, the, the your accommodation is going to be filled in faster or slower depending upon weathering rates.
1: Yeah, and ultimately it comes down to climate, I guess you could say. Yeah, weathering is. Inherently linked with climate. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah. That's that's interesting because weather is like the the day-to-day. Climate is the average over decades. Why don't we call it climating?
1: Why do we call it weathering? I will alert the authorities immediately. The geologic authorities will... <laughs> Well, send a memo out to the international. Organization. I mean, I mean, I guess it, it, technically that. it is
2: weather because, like, one storm event can erode tons.
0: Yeah, you're blowing whereas, my mind. A bit
2: whereas climate will just tell you about the average over a decade
1: uh, uh, of that weather. But well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it first here at the Geology <laughs> Flannel Cast. <There's>
2: uh,
1: climating. <laughs> Climating. It's not we will not refer to this as weathering anymore. It would be climating because yeah. you're right. Because at the uh the rate that rocks do break down. Climate. That the rock, the weather that the rocks climate at. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's even hard to say. You can't say it doesn't it doesn't roll off the tongue it, like weathering it does. does. Not. Like, oh, I'm, I'm just,
2: I'm just climating. Yeah. Climate it out.
1: <laughs> well but, I think because but it, it
2: it is slightly more accurate. Am I right?
1: You're not wrong. All right. <laughs>
0: You're not, not exactly wrong. right, though.
2: Yeah. No, I hear you. It, it doesn't. It doesn't roll off the tongue. But does it just not roll off the tongue because we're not used to it? You know, uh, two hundred years ago, if you said like, "Oh, this rock is weathering," people would be like, "What the hell are you talking about?"
1: <laughs> no. I mean.
2: God put this rock here and so did uh you know catastrophism.
1: <laughs> I but I you can watch okay. So, I, I
2: I am just kidding, I'm throwing this out there, but no, it's a you're good not.
1: <laughs> no, I'm trying to play devil's advocate with this this fun this fun thought experiment. Why is it not called climating and, and it's called weathering? I think it's because you can physically Okay, so as a human, if you want to throw, let's just, do so. if you want to throw out the definition of climate, it's what, 40, 40 years, is it 30 or 40 years of, I think it's 30, like 30,
2: yeah, basically so. like a generation. Yeah. So 30 yeah. years.
1: Okay. 30 years of weather data equals climate. All right. So if you're a human, you could potentially, okay, how about this? <laughs> If you live to be 90, you could theoretically see three climates. Yes. no, no, no. no.
0: no? It, climate is a running average. So every it changed The the average temperature in the city of Philadelphia in July yeah. in 2019 was 80, 86 degrees. In 2021, it was 87 degrees. Uh-huh. So the window moves. It's a 30 year window but it's but, moving. But you could year. look at
1: climate for a long, longer than 30 years
0: though. Yeah, You right? can make it whatever you want. I mean, the baseline we use for temperature anomaly is a hundred years. It's night. It's the 20th
1: century. Depending. Right. Like, if you no e- say like, no like the, the, the average of weather over 200 years, you could still slap on the term climate for 200 years of weather data
0: yeah I think that I think the the point I think the point I, you're trying to make too is that climate is a is an average and so it's not doing the it's it's you know it's, you're looking at an average whereas weather is what's happening it's actually the action
2: I like that yeah I'm going to claw back my statement of climating <laughs> because climating. the weather is actually doing the erosion the climate is just the average of that weather doing the erosion. But it was just a nice yeah. thought experiment for for about like three that. minutes.
1: Yeah. When you put it, it like it, that it, yeah, it, de- it
2: definitely made Chris mad. So that makes me happy. <laughs> no, it was great podcast material.
1: It was great conversation material, you know? Yeah. Like <laughs> that's what we do here at the Flannel Chaos. We have these yeah. these fun thought experiments.
2: Yeah, we touch the topics no one dares to touch.
1: Well, that's what so we're doing. Climate. Then we're just going to say. Then it's just it's just an, yeah. Weather weathering is the action the action,
2: and is climate true. is the average of that action.
1: It's just the average of all the the action resulting from solar radiation. Yeah. Action Jackson. Boom. There we go. Look at that. All the things radiation. that we didn't expect to cover here on our topic of. Sediment accommodation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, me, didn't, didn't uh, let's see. What else we got about sediment deposition that we can uh we can tie into this. I mean we stuff could talk about
2: slows downhill. Yeah. it so runs out of energy. Done. One
0: of the one of the interesting things about accommodation um is that sometimes you can be tricked by it. Oh, So tricky set of an accommodation. <laughs> tricky, tricky set of an accommodation. So like, um, yeah. So so normally, when sea level drops, you, you you get a you get your your coast progrades. It builds outward into the basin because your sea level is dropping. It's regressing.
2: Yeah.
0: And so your coast, where the where the beach is moves further offshore, moves into the basin. But if you have a lot of sediment pumping onto a coast, it can fill that accommodation space and it can build outward into the basin as well. So it'll look like a regression in the rock record. Mm. And so sometimes sometimes you have to, it's called a forced regression mm. where sea level is actually not changing. You've yeah. just run out of space to put those sediments, so in the rock record it would look like sea level was dropping. Or because... so we
1: we see this in Australia right now. What there's there's some spots in Australia where you have a progradational coast, huh? So and is it from sediment I, supply?
0: What's it? Well, why? Why do? Why how? I think
1: tectonically. <laughs> So it, it's either oh, it's either but, one or the other. It's either seven supplier or tectonic. Oh. But but basically, but then this goes back into look trying to find sea level on um in the in the rock record. So not only this is why finding uh, you know, trying to figure out if you have a, a transgression or regression in the rock record can be a pain in the behind. Yes, because, it can be tricky. Yeah. Because what if you have tectonic uplift, say sea level. Sea level is you could actually have a transgression going on where sea level is rising, right? But your tectonic uplift is going even faster. And it appears that you, this is Jesse, you didn't mention the term relative sea level. Oh, shoot. Yep. My bad. Good old RSL. Your relative sea level, which takes into account the isostatic and eustatic changes, it can appear (laughs) in the rock record like sea levels dropping but in reality it could still be rising but your tectonic uplift is even faster that it just overrides that signal from from the uh, from the eustatic sea level rise
2: yeah if you go to google earth right now and and just put on the satellite image and look at like new york uh delaware jersey and you zoom out into the ocean you see that self Shelf slope break, and you you can see where you know the Hudson River cut in, where the Delaware River cut in,
1: Uh, where the
2: Susquehanna River cut in. Paleo
1: channels, baby. Yeah, Yeah.
2: those paleo channels. But literally, like you know, you you can see them cutting in, and where they used to be, Mm -hmm. you know, eighteen thousand years ago. Um, So you, you can see how that accommodation space was. Filled in with sediment, sediment, and sea level also rose. So, um, yeah, you can you can see all this in in just Google Earth, like really.
1: Yeah, I I I love looking at those pictures, uh, those images. Um, You just see, yeah, all the the ancient positions of those those rivers on the uh, on the eastern seaboard. So it's. It's tricky. It's uh you start getting to sea level run. Stuff, it uh sea level and then tectonics and and talking about relative sea level rise or relative sea level fall. It can actually be the opposite, but it just uh, sometimes, like I said, your signal can get masked if um I guess you could say, is it safe to say if, if one's overriding the other? Is that a safe way to say it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you get uh, mixed signals. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is also the reason that um, we're kind of going off more into into sea level right now, but the sea level is not rising uniformly along the United States. Um, Sure is. The the fastest, the the spot that sea level is rising the fastest in the United States is uh, uh, Louisiana. Yep. It's about one centimeter a year sea levels rising. And that's because um you know you have the, the eustatic rate of uh was about three three just roughly three, three millimeters a year. What's that? 3.4. 3, 3, 3. four. Three point four. And then and you also have the land subsiding as well there, and it makes it appear that sea level is rising at one centimeter, you know, ten millimeters a year, but it's it's uh, it's a combination of that sea level of the eustatic level and the ocean going up and the the land going down. Yeah,
0: yeah. You and and you see this oftentimes where where rivers pump out sediments. So you look at like uh, in Bangladesh, where the the Ganges and the Brahmaputra pump out sediments, and I think sea level there is rising at. Yeah. In- so two and a half centimeters, twenty-five millimeters—something insane. The yeah. Land is just sinking uh, mm-hmm. because it's it's the it's all these sediments shedding off the Himalayas that are being dumped in the Bay of Bengal. There, the
2: Himalayas,
0: the Himalayas.
1: Wait a minute, hold on. So, oh, because because of that sediment just getting dumped onto the, it, it's also yeah. the, the land subsiding because of the extra weight yeah yeah okay but then jesse but so wouldn't that go against the point that that you said if your sediment's building out too fast that if you're uh it could appear that sea level's dropping but it would yeah if if
0: yeah if you dump a lot of sediment too quickly and it it can't sink yeah there's so I, for whatever reason, the the ground is really sinking in in the Bay of Bengal because you're pumping sediments. Maybe it maybe it is building outwards. Maybe it would look like it's. I mean, the ground is going to sink whether you put
1: it here, or put it a hundred feet out into the basin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's also when you get when we get into like land subsiding. There's also the anthropogenic effect too of pulling out groundwater of basically I mean like we see this is geez we see this happening in uh well that's one of the reasons that the land subsiding in, in New Orleans is because not this Louisiana it's because you're they're, they're they're pulling out groundwater for people to drink you're um there, there's a lot of actually they're they 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 have uh they have the levees on the Mississippi river. It doesn't flood anymore. So it doesn't replenish the land with, with, uh, with sediment like it used to. Um, there's, there's a lot of reasons why. Um, and Houston, right. Isn't that, it was, it was, Houston was subsiding because they're pulling out groundwater, but also because of oil extraction as well. Yeah. Oh, probably. Cool. Yeah.
2: Same thing in Oklahoma and other places as well. It's, uh, yeah, and and it was uh, Houston. Oh, jeez, what was the name of that? Was it Hurricane Michael? I, I forget the hurricane. Harvey. Harvey. Uh, that it. There was so much water fell that that Houston actually sank a little bit because <laughs> so much water was poured on yeah, top of like the city.
0: Forty
1: inches or something.
2: So, something crazy
1: that's right because the hurricane stalled out right yeah yeah
2: it just sat, and 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 hurricanes and again we're off on a tangent surprise but hurricanes the, the simpson Sapphire scale it happens to be based on wind speed which is important and and it was a huge deal for damage uh how much wind how much wind can your building sustain but nowadays the 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 x factor if you will is The climate is warmer and the oceans are warmer. So warmer climates, warmer oceans can uh, absorb more moisture so they can hold more water. So, yes, the winds may be intense, but now you're dumping like billions of gallons of water over a certain area for a long, 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 long time, much longer than it used to be, say, in the 70s. So in the seventies, yeah, you had you had high winds, which was devastating. But now you have high winds and just massive amounts of water being dumped, Um, and that happened over Houston. And that accommodation, like literally, Houston created its own accommodation space because (laughs) the city sank because of all the water that was dumped on it.
1: Well, I think, but the the main thing though was that if the storm stalls then it's not spreading that water out over a larger area. True. It's just dumping that water in a a concentrated area. And and that's because it was like they had days, right? From what I remember. I I don't remember. But
2: but what you mean by stall is like, but it still needs that hot, warm ocean water to feed it. So it, it stalled, but it kept having its source of warm water to replenish those well, clouds. Yeah, the hot keep, the hotter yeah.
1: the ocean, yeah, the hotter the water, the more yeah. energy it has and hurricanes are ultimately you can think of them as just redistributing earth the the energy throughout the earth. It's taking, yeah, that you know, like you don't you don't have is more You don't have hurricanes it's in Iowa. energy and just basically just spreading it out to wherever the the path of the hurricane is.
2: Right, but you you don't have hurricanes in Iowa.
1: You can think of it as mother nature's great uh I'm on the edge of my seat.
2: I know, Chris froze. The energy around. There you
1: go.
2: <laughs> um, you froze for a second there, but you you don't have hurricanes in Iowa because I mean, by the time it gets that far inland, it lost its heat and its moisture, essentially battery. Yeah, and and, and it dissipated by that point. So, but on Houston, where you're right there in the Gulf of Mexico, if if the hurricane doesn't move in inland you just have that constant supply of hot air and hot water to just keep dumping water and to the point where again we're talking about accommodation space it actually pushed the city down to create accommodation
1: how fast did did it come back did it pop back up
0: (sighs) ah
2: It, it did. It but I, I, it don't, I don't remember how how much it, how quickly it popped back up. I guess we could look I'm that up, sure. but I don't remember I off imagine, the top of yeah, my head.
1: Is, well, there's so there's no there's a crap ton of water sitting there, but once that eventually drains, the the storm leaves, and the all that water drains, it should yeah, come back up. It's, it's, you get it's basically
2: right. like isostatic rebound, yeah.
1: Basically, yeah, yeah. But that's interesting. I, I didn't know that the city. <laughs> got pushed down a little bit. And what we must be talking like millimeters, right? I,
2: it, was, yeah. it was a lot. I mean it was like billions of gallons of water at what mm. seven ish pounds a gallon. So it was a lot of weight.
1: Mm. 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 Mm.
2: Mm. Interesting. Oh Houston. Yeah <laughs> yet, yet well, another I not, not a big fan of Houston right now. Yet, and, uh, yet another reason not to live in Houston.
1: <laughs>
2: says says, the, says Phillies the Phillies fan.
1: fan. The <laughs> World Series. Ah, you win some, you lose some. It was a fun, it was a fun run. Yeah. No denying that. On that note, uh, what else do we
2: have about accommodation?
1: Uh I think just recap, it's just it's just accommodation ultimately is like if you run out of accommodation space. Your system's going to go out of equilibrium. Your system's going to—it's going to just—it's um, going to do what it has to do to find that area to dump sediment off at. Yeah, and sometimes there can be big chain reactions associated with this. Um. So, wow! Well, uh, apparently, we uh good good friend of the podcast slash uh, fact checker, Maddie here, says Houston sank two centimeters. Wow. Yeah. Jeez, oh me that's an inch that's rough that's a little bit less than an inch
2: little little less than an inch but yeah. that's,
1: that's a lot of water yeah Jeez, oh knees wow i was not expecting that number to be to be thrown on what 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 275 <laughs> yeah. trillion
2: pounds of waterfowl
1: 1 bazillion trillion pounds of water fell. Yeah,
2: that's just, that's, <laughs> that's just, just a made up number. That's
0: not
1: a real number. Wow. That's crazy. Wow. Um Oh, that Hurricane Harvey, right? That's nuts. That might be the craziest fact that we uh that we came across no, in the podcast today. I'm
2: telling you, it was it was a it was a, Crap ton of water to put it in scientific terms, yeah.
1: Man, oh man. Um, so yeah, as long as the system has enough space to accommodate the sediment, everything's be good. If it runs out of space, that system is going to find somewhere else to put the sediment.
2: Yep, it'll That's, find that, a way. That uh, again, if you, if you go to Google Earth and you zoom in around Louisiana, um, Wait, a little bit off the coast you just see all these lobes of where the Delta used to be. Yeah. It's yeah. really pretty interesting. Yeah. And even within those lobes, you can see the little like carve outs of where the channels used to be. And then, and then you back it up all the way to, um, was it Passe a state wildlife? I think it's called, um, way back before you get to like new Orleans and stuff. But um you can see all those lobes just building out, building out, building out so and and also you can see you know t- more towards Houston, obviously the Mississippi River did not just go through New Orleans in its history it 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 has carved its way through many a different path over the millions and millions of years, so.
1: Yeah, so there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's uh, sediment accommodation, or if you're old school, accommodation space. Yeah, it's all the same thing. So,
2: <laughs> it, it that is going to be a hard thing for me to get over. I it, it I I often correct people about you know redundancies and things like that, but I'm just gonna, <laughs> it's going to be a hard thing for me to get over accommodation you know, space. My,
1: my pet peeves. Is- people that say close proximity <laughs> you can't you can't say close proximity well,
2: you, I mean, you, you, can. Can. you can you can't
1: but yeah. it's just proximity proximal like it's the definition of proximity means you're close so if you say close proximity it's you're close close yeah, yeah. Never, super close far proximity far
2: proximity
1: distal proximity
2: (laughs) distal proximity i like it it's going to be the name of my band Yeah. and tonight at the pit distal proximity
1: you're very close but still far away
2: exactly
1: well ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for tuning into the this week's episode of the geology flannel cast Woo. If you'd like to help out the Geology Flannelcast, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash You can see the different tiers of, of membership there. If you like the podcast and want to help out, um, that's there. I appreciate all of our Patreon sponsors and all of our Patreon friends out there coming hanging out for the podcast. We have some cool conversations. And after the podcast, we switch over to the, the Patreon stuff. It's pretty fun. Yeah, um,
2: super fun. Uh, we did just lose our uh, our greatest Patreon tier, which is the Unobtainium, where you get to name Chris's baby, because Chris already had his baby. So sorry that that we're gonna have to wait for Chris to have his second kid before we can reestablish that Patreon tier. But until like that, that happens, it. but anyways, <laughs> or maybe we maybe we can come up with a tier where, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I'm not gonna go there. Maybe but,
1: I'll, I'll like adopt another cat or something like that. Ooh, you can name a cat. Like <laughs> there you go. <laughs> any you guys my, get any pets anytime soon? Any uh, my dogs? kids
2: are pushing me to have a
1: dog. And oh, and, here we go. Maybe you could, yeah. you could name that'd be the contest right there. Name Steve's dog.
2: There you go. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not happening anytime soon. But you know, we'll see.
1: We'll
0: see.
2: Um, yeah. All right, I'll, I'll do anything for money. Anything.
1: <laughs> all right. You heard it here from, from the man himself, ladies and gentlemen. Um, all right. So uh check out geologyflannelcast.com. We got some cool merch up on there too. Um scoop that out. The
2: holidays are coming up. Nothing says the holidays like a geology flannel cast t shirt. Or a mug. Ooh, the mug speaker. Your, stickers, your your, your Stocking holi-
1: stuffers. Hello.
2: A holiday morning coffee, <laughs> 20% better.
1: There you go. Um, so anyways, ladies and gentlemen uh thank you so much for tuning in to the geology flannel cast this week we love you guys and uh now time for the most important question of the podcast of the day jesse what song you taking us out with
0: i i hadn't been thinking about it (laughs) Uh, i mean shoot now now i'm on i'm on all right how about the
1: space between us by dave matthews
0: that was a good one yeah there's a song how i think it there's a song about being close and being far away that's just got stuck in my head when you said about uh distal proxim proximity and so uh yeah i like the space between us
2: yeah uh by the way i did not win the two billion dollar powerball but if i ever do we're gonna buy the rights to all these songs that jesse thinks about so we can play them
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. But,
2: but until, until
1: then, we don't know. have the money for that. So just think about it in your head. <laughs> exactly. Those are cheapskates.
2: <laughs> and- <laughs> Needs <laughs> at least countries. two billion.
1: <laughs> two billion.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, all right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a great week, and we'll catch you guys next week with another fun, and exciting episode of the Geology Final Cast. See you.
2: Thanks, everybody.
1: Bye. Bye. Bye.